Um, okay, welcome. I, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown West. We're really glad that you're here. Megan, I'm trying to preach. <laughs> Unbelievable. Megan, stop. <laughs> hey, raise your hand if you can tell me who this is. We got two, two people. Okay, does anybody know that song? It's Megan's favorite song. Okay, yell it out if you know what that's called. I wish. I wish. Bye. No. Skilo, Skilo, he was the, uh, if you trace back like Kanye and Jay-Z, they all like get their genesis in Skilo. Um, okay, that was I Wish by Skilo. That was an early 90s hip hop. And um, what he's saying in this song, you ready for this? <laughs> he's really talking about the gospel, guys. Um, he's... He said, I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl who looked good, I would call her. <laughs> and then he said he wished he had a rabbit in a hat, which is like reference to magic. So maybe he's a Harry Potter fan. Maybe he just wishes he could make things happen. And then he says he wished he had a better car, a 6'4 Impala. And guys, we're all right there with him, right? Is that what we're wishing for? Um, I was thinking about that song, thinking about where we're going for our, uh, this vision series these next three weeks. Um, it's New Year's. Raise your hand if you're making a New Year's resolution. Okay, some of y'all. Now some of y'all are, but you're afraid to raise your hand because you don't know what I'm going to say about it. Uh, nothing wrong with New Year's resolutions, uh, but there is a motivation underneath New Year's resolutions that... Um, as people who are in Christ, we want to sort of get a hold of uh, that can be very damaging to us. And so it's okay uh, to want to try to better yourself in different ways. But if the motivation is because you feel like you are in need, because you are lacking something that you have to have that you don't yet have, um, that is not good. And it's a little bit like if we're not careful and we're not paying attention, we can be like kids who've just had like a tremendous Christmas and all of the presents raining down on us. And then they never open them. And on the 26th, they're begging for more things. And we just thought, you know what? Let's start the year off from our reality, which is the fullness, the abundance that we have in Christ. So for these first three weeks of the new year, we're doing this vision series called What We Have in Christ. And we're actually going to slow down and unpack and open and enjoy what is already ours. And we are, in order to do that, we're looking at three different passages from Paul's letters where he really clearly spells out the gospel and the, the good gifts that God has for us in the gospel. So um, whoever is reading scripture, if you would come on up. And um, thanks, Will. 
We're going to be in Romans 3, verses 19 through 26. And uh, before you read, real quick, um, somebody tell us what our vision statement is here at Midtown West. Anybody have that? On adventure with Jesus to be set free and set others free and enjoy that freedom together. So we believe, very good, guys. We believe that we are on adventure. We call it adventure because we've never been there before. Jesus is leading us. Um, We are with him. He is leading us to be set free, that he is continually setting us free from our sin, from our flesh, from our fear, from all these things that keep us from enjoying a full, rich life in him. And that as that's happening, not once that's happened, because that will continue all of our lives, as that's happening, he is working through us to be agents of his hands and feet, vessels of Jesus, to come to the other people that he's put in our lives to set one another free, that we would be in this body setting one another free, and that we would be out in the world for people who don't know him as agents to set them free. And then uh, people are not projects, and so the last part is also very important, that we would be able to enjoy that freedom together, that we would invite those who he puts in our lives to come be a part of this body, and that we would watch and enjoy him do his good work in this body, in this place. And so again, the reason all of this is so important is all of that is impossible if I believe that I don't have what I need yet. If I believe that I just need to be a little bit better, a little more holy, a little more attractive, a little more successful, a little more fill in the blank, then I can't follow Jesus anywhere because I'm driving the ship to the things that I think I need. I can't, I don't even know what freedom is. It's a, it's a pipe dream. It's something that's far away. And so I certainly can't be used uh, to set others free because all I can think about is how not free I am. And then joy and enjoyment and all of that in community is, uh, becomes very, very difficult. So um, thanks be to God, we're not gonna stay in that place. Romans 3, 19 to 26. Romans 3, 19 through 26. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, apart although the law and the prophets bear witness to it the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all, for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this community. Thank you for this time, the way that you promise that you are with us. You are always with us and you're with us in a really uh, special and unique way when we gather together for worship like this. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would do what we cannot do, which is to give rebirth. 
that you would give new birth to us and that you would renew us. Those who are not in you, who don't know you, you would give rebirth and new life today, right now. Um, And for those of us who do know you, that you would renew us, that you would remind us, that you would continue to change us. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, I want to get us to the table, so I'm going to try to to move through this uh, rather quickly. But um, we're going to start with the law of God and then move into the righteousness of God. So uh, the law of God, it says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So who is under the law? Um, To whom does God's law apply? Is it only to Christians? Is it only to people who have raised their hands and said, I want to be with God and under his law? Um, No, it it applies to everyone. Um, I am not beholden to the laws of Sweden because I live in the United States, and so uh, Sweden can't tell me anything, okay? But um, God can tell us everyone, everything, because we are his, because he made us. Um, The Lord created man in his image. The Lord created everything that we see from nothing, and so all of creation, everything that we can see has been made by God and belongs to him, including us. And so we are all, whether we want to be, that doesn't actually impact. We cannot, there's no opt out. Um, Whether I love God, whatever I believe about God, whatever I think about God matters not. I am beholden to him because he created me and everything that I see is his. And he's created me in a way to live that's right, There's a way in which he's created the universe to operate that is right and good and whole and healthy. And when we uh, transgress that law, when we rebel against him, when we turn away from him and from his law and pay no attention and go our own way to be our own gods, um, there is penalty for that. And so what he's saying here is the law applies to everyone. And it certainly applies to those who call themselves Christians. It applies to the whole world, but it applies to us, those of us who hear and know and talk about God's word all the time. And so the question is, does hearing and knowing and talking about God's word make us righteous? Does it? I'm going to tell you a little story and then see if you have an answer. Um, One of our sons, who will remain nameless, uh, can recite to us very clearly the rule. And he told me the other day, he looked in my eyes and he he came up to me and said, Daddy, we don't spank mommy on the bottom. I said, okay. And then he just gave me a nod and walked off. And then a couple hours later, he came into the kitchen where mom and dad were and just good gamed everybody. So the fact that he can tell us what the law is and then proceeds to immediately break it, does knowing what the law is and saying it and and sharing it with others, does that make him righteous? No, because he's going to break it, right? And, And that's us. That's all of us. We can know it. We can say it. But let's stop here. Okay, the fact that we even need to have the law written down is evidence against us, right? If we were healthy, we wouldn't even need to know what the law is because it would just be innate. But something is wrong with us. Something is wrong with us. Now we have the law written down, the law given to us, but we cannot keep it. 
We can talk about it. We can memorize it. We can celebrate it. We can say that it's good and we should tell, we can tell other people that they should follow it, but we can't keep it. And what the law is, is it's a mirror to show us in what desperate state we are in. It is not a ladder. The law is not a ladder to climb, to get to God and make ourselves good and make ourselves righteous. The law is a mirror to show us that we are in desperate need of a savior. If you need any more help here, let's just walk through the summary of the law in the Old Testament is the Ten Commandments. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Like, that is impossible. Not lie, not steal, not covet, not, you know, and Jesus was is shedding more light on the Ten Commandments in the New Testament. He said, you know, we should not murder. But if you hate someone in your heart, it's, it's the, the murder is happening in your heart. You should not commit adultery, but if you're lusting after someone in your heart that is not your spouse, then you have already committed adultery. And so, y'all, we are guilty. There, we are sin artists. There are infinite ways that we have invented to sin with our minds and our hearts and our hands and our mouths. It is all over us. And we stand before the law that is the mirror and see how filthy we are. But as Charles Spurgeon says, the great British uh, preacher, you, you can't take a bath in a mirror. Like it can't do anything to cleanse you. It, can't sh- it can show you your spots, but it cannot clean you. And so what is the purpose of the law? That's what Paul says here. The purpose of the law is to shh, stop every mouth. And the reason it has to stop every mouth is because we are all on this infinite hamster wheel of self-justification. Because there is something in us, because we're made in God's image, whether you claim to believe in God or not, it doesn't matter. There is something in us deep down that we can't get rid of that tells us that things are not okay. I am not okay. But there's this other thing that we like to do too that, that gets in here and mixes in and makes it really weird. I know somehow that I'm not okay before the God of the universe, and at the same time, I like to pretend that I don't believe in God and that he doesn't exist. So when you put these things together, that comes out real sideways. And now I find myself, like the Dr. Seuss book, like, Are You My Mother? Every person in my life is a place I go for justification. Will you tell me that I'm okay? If I'm more attractive and I'm dateable, if I am more successful, if I make this much money, if I can live in this kind of house, will you tell me that I'm okay? If I'm a good guy and I have a good reputation, will you tell me that I'm okay? And I look in the mirror and maybe our harshest critic of all is ourself. Will I tell me that I'm okay? And that is a never ending cycle. And we are so tired and so much mental energy and so much anxiety and so much, we just wear ourselves out over and over and over, always, always, always. And when we feel okay and when we feel justified, that doesn't last. It's this vapor that is gone. And so the next day, the next hour even, I'm looking for more ways to be justified. And when somebody pinpricks 
and punctures my balloon of self-justification by telling me maybe I'm not as attractive as I think or maybe I'm not as successful as I think, then I'm back at it again because I'm not enough. And that's what's happening is, and, and the law is saying, hey, look, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks of you. It matters God's righteous judgment over you. And here's what it is. It is that you are a sinner without any hope of being righteous. So shh, stop talking. We are all silenced before the God of the universe. And so you ask, man, why does he do this? Why does he give us the law if this is the case? He gives us the law to silence us, and he silences us so that we would shut up, so that we could actually hear his words of love spoken over us. If you would stop talking and stop trying to continue this whole ruse of actually trying to convince yourself that you might be able to believe that you're okay, then you could hear what I'm saying to you. You would be able to receive the gift that I'm giving you that you so desperately need, which is the righteousness of God. So the righteousness of God. Look at verse 21. It has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. How could I receive the righteousness of God if I am so sinful? And Paul's saying, there it is. It is the person and work of Jesus Christ. It is God who has put on flesh and become fully God and fully man and who has lived, the only one who has lived this perfectly righteous life because he is God. And as, and as he is also fully man, he was fully obedient to God the Father the whole time. There's no sin, no imperfection, no selfishness in him at all. But it wasn't just that he lived a perfect life. That would be admirable. But it's that he came with a very specific purpose to live that perfect life so that he could die in our place. So that he could be hung up on the cross and all of our sin be put into him. And because he is righteous, that counts. Because he is righteous and he did not deserve condemnation himself, then he can take our sin on him and take our condemnation on our behalf. And when he does that, then God's righteous requirement of the law is satisfied. Look at this with me. It is in Jesus, it is the pointing of the law and prophets, which is another way to say the whole Old Testament. It's all talking about him. It is all pointing to Jesus. And this is, he is the answer to the riddle throughout human history of God and his people because God is promising two things throughout history. God is promising, I will always be with my people. I will always save my people. They will always be my people. I will always love them and care for them on and on into eternity. But he's also promising something else. I will punish every sin. I am a God of justice, and I will not turn a blind eye to any sin. It will all be accounted for and all be punished. And so everyone who's paying attention is like, how can these things both be true? Because we also know really clearly that all of God's people are sinners. So how is he going to do both of these things? And Paul's saying, now the righteousness of God is shown clearly in the cross of Jesus Christ. 
That is the answer to this riddle. Because he's both, as it says later, he is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. He is just because he is punishing every sin. There is no sin, there is no wrongness or wickedness in any of us that it will ever be secret enough to go unnoticed by the God of the universe. Every sin, every wickedness, everything is going to be called into account before the God of the universe. And the wrath of God is going to fall for every sin. And it's either going to fall on the head of Jesus Christ or on the head of the sinner. And what Paul is saying here is look, look at what God is giving you. Look at what he's done for you. It says that the redemption that is in Christ, that word to redeem means to pay for, to pay to set someone free from a legal demand. You could redeem someone out of slavery. You could redeem someone out from under the demands of the law. And he's saying that Jesus shedding his perfect blood redeems God's people from the demands of the law, from the wrath of God. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ for all who believe. We, are all, we all lack righteousness and are justified by God's grace as a gift. Through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, we are being given the righteousness of God as a gift. We cannot earn it. We have to have it given to us and thank God that our God is so full of grace and so full of mercy and so full of love that he has given it to us. We're being justified. That means we're being declared, legally declared righteous and innocent by God. What it doesn't mean is that we will experience sinlessness and perfection and righteousness now. Raise your hand if you're still a sinner. Right? Does that mean that all of this is garbage? No. He said, he's saying that. He's saying, look, you are righteous in God's eyes because of the legal declaration that God has made. He's saying, I declare you righteous. You are justified. And one day you will be sinless. One day God's work in you will be finished and you will be sinless, but that day is not today. And as one theologian said, the good news of the gospel is that God pronounces people just, astonishingly enough, while they are still sinners. And that's us. So, what do we have in Christ? What is Paul telling us? What is God telling us through Paul that we have in Christ through this good news of the gospel? One, we are free from the fear of condemnation. God has punished all of our sin on the head of Jesus, so there is no punishment left for us. We never have to fear condemnation. Justice has been satisfied in Christ, past, present, and future. We never, never, never have to fear condemnation. We are also free from the mental gymnastics of constant self-justification. If I could just be a little better, or no, you don't understand, That's, here's what I was trying to do, or this is what makes me good, or at least I'm better than that person, or at least I'm not Adolf Hitler. It's like, man, if we're going there, just... This, it can all stop. I don't have to be anything more than I am today because I'm free. I am justified. God looks at me and counts me righteous. 
So who is there left to fear? I would like for you all to like me, but do I need you to like me? No. Because the God of the universe has said, you're clean. You're mine. I, I know who you are, and I'm saying you are righteous in my sight. This also opens the door for us to welcome God's freeing, transforming work in our lives. Because if I think that I have to fear God condemning me for my sin, then I will always keep him out. I I may come here and sing songs and do all of these things, but when God really starts to push in and try to work in my life, it will scare me to death and I will keep him far away. But if I know that I don't have to fear condemnation, then I know that God the Father, the loving Father, who has already made me his own, is only ever always coming to me in fatherly, loving correction to set me free from sin, because sin is slavery. So when he comes to lovingly correct me, I don't have to be afraid. I can get on board with his transformation program that he's doing in me and experience the gift of that, the freedom of that, And it also sets me free to actually love other people. I don't have to be afraid of you anymore because you don't really have anything that you can do to me. But I also don't need you like a vampire needs victims to just suck life out of you and take it and go somewhere else. I'm covered. And now I can just enter your life and love you. And you and I can love each other without having this weird, you know, whatever you want to call it, vampire relationship. You know what I'm talking about. So he says that God gives us Jesus, this way to life, the righteousness of God, to be received how? By faith. What is that? Let's talk about that for just a second. It is believing and receiving. It's not earning. Um, I don't have faith in my faith. That's a really dangerous spiral to get into. However I feel, if I'm excited and it's easy to believe this, then I'm feeling good. If I'm not excited and and it's not easy to believe this, then I'm worried, like, oh, no, this is all disappearing. No, no, no. It's not faith in my faith. Faith is just reaching out and saying, I believe that, whether it's hard or easy for me to believe it, it, but the thing that is powerful is not my faith. It's what Jesus has already accomplished on the cross. Tim Keller says it like this, I may have unshakable faith in the ability of feathers strapped to my arms to fly me to the UK, but I've put my faith in the wrong place. Equally, I may have just barely enough faith to board a transatlantic flight, trembling the entire time, and yet it's the object of my faith it will accomplish its purpose and get me to the UK. Another thing about faith is it's not just faith in general or faith in God. It's faith in a very specific thing. It's faith in the fact that Jesus Christ has come and has taken my sin upon himself on the cross and that God has through that declared me righteous and now I am righteous. It's faith in Jesus and his finished work on the cross. That is where faith is. And so we receive this by faith. 
And this is all to show God's righteousness. It says, in him passing over former sins, in his divine forbearance, which means his patient, loving restraint, and being just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. You know, there's a way in which we can see the world that's exactly like what Satan says in the garden. In the Garden of Eden, in in Genesis chapter 2, God says to Adam and Eve, if you disobey me, if you turn away from me, you will surely die. And the enemy comes along and says, you will not surely die. And in fact, Adam and Eve did not physically die immediately. And so it's easy for the enemy to speak this into our ears now and say, Do you really believe all this? Look around. Look at how everyone is living life however they choose, and there's no repercussions. Look at how everyone, whether they're a Christian or not, whether they believe in God or not, everything kind of seems to happen to everybody all the same everywhere. So why would you ever believe that God is real, or why would you ever believe that God is good, or why would you ever believe that God is listening or paying attention or anything? And what Paul is saying here is do not be an arrogant fool. Do not use the very mercy and grace and love that God is showing for his people throughout history to use as evidence against him to show that he is false. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 says God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance. What Paul is saying here is look, God did not just immediately strike down everyone who sinned because of his mercy, because he was setting up all of human history to give us Jesus as a way to have the righteousness of God so that we could have life in him forever. So don't point to that and say that God is false because it is through his mercy that he is doing this. Think about that we've just been in Revelation. Think about all the cycles of Revelation. The seven this, and we get through six, and then we stop, and then we have seven new things, and we stop, and we're like, why all this repetition? Why all these cycles? It's because God is full of mercy, and he does not wish that anyone would perish. But today is the day of salvation. You are hearing this message because today is the day of salvation. You are hearing this good news, this gift of God, the gift of his righteousness through Jesus for you, because today is the day. We have all turned away, and he is calling you to turn back so that you can have life in him. And that's what we have. We have life in him, and it is a gift. It is not something that we can earn for ourselves. Father, thank you for this gift. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for for everything. Thank you for the freest and most costly gift that the world has ever seen. And thank you that you have given your son Jesus to us. Jesus, thank you for your obedience. And thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you are a good shepherd and you lead us to yourself through what you've done on our behalf. Lord, would you continue to help us access this life and this freedom in you? We ask this in your name, amen. Uh, Now as we continue to worship, we have a chance to uh, take communion, which is uh, another tangible, beautiful, strengthening thing that Jesus has given us, a gift that he says, I want you to keep this meal until I return. And what this is, is this is the opportunity in a tangible way to reach out in faith and receive the gift of God that is the righteousness of God in Jesus through this meal. 
on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was with his disciples celebrating the Passover and he broke the bread and he said, this is my body that's broken for you. Take and feed on me, be nourished by me, be changed by me. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after the meal, he poured wine into the cup and he said, this wine is my blood. This is the blood of a new covenant because my blood has already been shed to satisfy the old covenant. This blood of a new covenant, this wine is the wine of the wedding feast. This is a foretaste of what you can expect because of, your, because of my sacrifice for you. You can expect to be at the bride's supper, the wedding supper of the lamb, and have life with God forever. And so take and do this in remembrance of me and keep this meal until I return. And so the way we do that here is we're going to, um, we have these community tables. Uh, you can come up and come gather around this table or, or this table and we will serve you. Or you can come to the kneelers and be served. If you come to the kneelers, just put your hands out when you're ready. Raise a hand if you want prayer. Um, and lastly, this meal uh, is for everyone. Uh, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Uh, this meal is for every man and woman who knows I in my own strength do not possess the righteousness of God, but that Jesus does. And he has made it possible for me. He is my savior. He is my righteousness. And I'm coming to receive that, whether that's for the first time or for the millionth time. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good and that he loves you.